Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. The podcast is hosted by Jeff Brunsbach and Jay Nathan. Now, Gain, Grow, and Retain is built to inspire SaaS and technology leaders who are facing the day-to-day -day challenges of scaling. Hosts Jeff and Jay share conversations about growing and scaling subscription businesses with a customer-first approach. If any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're gonna like the podcast. Creating more brand advocates, SaaS as a predominant model for business, customer success at scale, or the challenges of integrating new tools with CSM. Some of these topics pique your interest. You're going to love the podcast. You're going to love Gain, Grow, Retain. Go check it out wherever you get your podcast. Remember, Gain, Grow, Retain on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Today, my guest is Mario Natarelli. Mario is a managing partner at Emblem. Emblem is a marketing firm that focuses on brand intimacy. Now, what is brand intimacy? Brand intimacy, the definition, is the emotional science behind the bonds we form with the brands we use and love. So in 2020, Emblem did a study to measure brand intimacy. This was the list. Apple, Amazon, Google, Walmart, YouTube, Toyota, Disney, Netflix, Chevrolet, and PlayStation from first to 10th. So that, those were the brands with the top 10 uh, highest brand intimacy. Now, why does brand intimacy matter? Well, across revenue growth, profit, stock price, brands that have the highest brand intimacy with their customers outperform everyone else. So there's a, a huge revenue component uh, tied to having high brand intimacy. And this is what Emblem studies. And this is what Emblem helps their customers with. Mario himself is the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, Brand Intimacy, A New Paradigm in Marketing. He is a regular speaker and has been featured on Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Fox, uh, TV Mornings with Maria, uh, and NASDAQ Market Site, amongst others. He also speaks globally at conferences and industry events. So let's jump right into this. Let's understand brand intimacy and how you can improve your brand intimacy with your business. This is Mario Natarelli, Managing Partner at Emblem. Well, the fast version of that story is, thanks for having me, by the way, Scott. The fast version of that story is I graduated as an architect at a time of a recession in Toronto. And I love architecture. I love the education of architecture and the application of it. And I practiced for about five years and really struggled and saw this career trajectory that was going to take me multiple decades. Um, the recession was a blessing. I ended up doing um, everything to kind of survive. A lot of it was marketing related. And I started a digital marketing business at the beginning of the internet, essentially, with some colleagues. And uh, we had a lot of success very early on. We were one of the first companies to use virtual reality and, and a lot of the exciting things that were happening in the internet in the early days. We got acquired. And this little company from Toronto uh, was then part of a big uh, marketing conglomerate called Interpublic. I moved to New York. I thought it was going to be a two-year move. It ended up, uh, I'm now in my 20th year here. Uh, along the way, I learned a lot. I uh, joined a branding agency within Interpublic called Future Brand. I led the digital practice there uh, for a good five to six years and then eventually worked my way up to CEO of Future Brand in North America and the Middle East. I worked on brands of every size, scale, nature. Um, it was really my indoctrination to all things branding. And along the way, I learned that there were a lot of parallels between 
the study and the education of architecture and the building of brands. And about 11 years ago, uh, we decided that we, we really needed to rethink marketing and branding. And we decided that starting a new company called Emblem would be a, a better vehicle for doing that. Um, and so here we are in our 11th year of, of proving out that theory. So first of all, uh, congratulations on the success. Um, I'm sure that exiting a marketing firm is, is not easy. Uh, but still, that's that's very impressive. Uh, even the early career pivot and the success there, very impressive. I didn't even know you were from Toronto. I'm Canadian as well, so I'm also okay. I'm also from Toronto. A little a little bit younger than you. I didn't go through the recession and the and the early stages of the internet, but that's still uh, it's still incredible. I'm curious. Okay, so two questions out of that. First of all, what are the what are the lessons that you've learned in architecture that carry over to marketing? That's an interesting lens that I don't think many people have. Well, architecture is a wonderful uh, education in art, science, technology, culture, um, really understanding how cities work, but also how we live in the environments around us. So you, you really have to be tuned to a lot of things and really uh, be masters at many of them to be a successful architect. And I think that's what really intrigued me about the profession. It's sort of felt like this, you know, uh, entire lifetime of journey to arrive at building, you know, spaces that we'll remember and that will change the way we live or the way cities work. Um, there's something very ambitious and bold about brands. They're culture-driven things, right? Great companies are great cultures. Building those from scratch is uh, analogous to how you form a building or how you form a city. Um, it's also analogous in that it's art and science, right? A lot of this um, can be measured and can be uh, engineered, and some of it is instinctual, creative, and whimsical. <laughs> and so there's some parallels there that, that were interesting. I think the other thing about architecture is it gives you a training in, in, a, in a critical eye, you know, understanding the role of, of history and art and how to judge, critique, evolve, create, uh, collaborate is really important in architecture and also in marketing. So those are just some of the things that I draw parallels to. I love the I love the I love the analogy and the parallels that you see in architecture versus uh, versus marketing because I definitely agree that all those things are what makes marketing so beautiful. And what I've seen more and more, and I want to get your input on this is that it seems like people are focused more on transactional marketing versus that beautiful culture that the the whimsical and the creative mixed with the the tangible ROI on marketing dollars spent in this particular thing. And I'm curious as you've basically been in marketing since the internet, which is very impressive, have you seen or sad depending on how you look at it? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, listen, it's you have you have such tenure in the industry. Have you what have you seen change in what marketing is over your career to what it is today? Or has the main core thread of what marketing is stayed the same? Well, I think there has been some major pivots. And the one that you started the question around is this ever increasing focus on the near term and the tactical. And I think the more tools that we have to measure things, the more the executive layer of organizations see, look to see immediate returns on, on, on actions, initiatives. And marketing tends to fall into a dangerous zone when you think of it in short term. And especially when you think about the culture of an organization, how long it, change, how long it takes to mold a culture and then shift it um, it's hard to measure those things in immediate terms. It's also hard to measure things sometimes on tactics. So, you know, our job as um, helping clients transform brands, we try to help move them upstream and think about the wider view, the longer term. But that's a perpetual challenge for executives and for CMOs. I mean, we're here on the agency side. Uh, our challenge is, is significant, but on the client side, I imagine that's even harder and probably why CMOs have such short tenures. 
uh, well, and all revenue leaders have increasingly short tenures, CMOs <laughs> in particular, <laughs> CROs, VP sales. It's difficult right. because the, especially in a, in a, in an increasingly venture backed world where right. the, the, re, you have to have like results on steroids or you're out, which I don't think is healthy either. That's a whole other, you know, podcast, whole other set of issues. So right. when you, when you started in marketing, what would a client come to you to achieve when you first started your firm? Well, on the digital side of the business, you know, these were the early days when people were enamored and sort of digital was romantic in a sense. So really just having a presence was the achievement. Mm -hmm. So in the early days, it was, you know, rather simplistic. You know, can we can we build a digital version of this brand? You know, we spent a lot of time even convincing people that there was a reason to do that, if you can believe it. Um, so we've long since passed those hurdles and challenges, right? It's almost funny to think back at some of those initial conversations that we had with brand owners, um, trying to explain to them the role that digital play. Why have a website? <laughs> why have a website, right? Uh, what, what is e-commerce and what do I, do I need it? Um, those are almost cute nowadays, right? Um, and now when you, when you, when brands <laughs> approach you and emblem, what are they, what do they need now? What's the, What's the, you know, you're as an agency, I'm sure you specialize and I, I want to unpack what Emblem actually specializes in. Sure. But what do brands approach you about? Because they see you, they, they see the work that you've done and they say, I want to achieve what? Yeah. Clients come with a, to us with similar pain points. Generally, they're in a transformation of some kind. You know, we are trying to move from X to Y. We're growing and we're maturing and the brand needs to keep pace with that business. Um, growth or sometimes two brands are coming together and they need to form a, a new entity or a business idea needs a brand from scratch, name, identity, you know, uh, strategy, execution. So those tend to be the reasons people join or come to us initially. One of those pain points is, is generally prevalent. In addition, we do do some surgical work on big companies that have well-established brands, and that could be things like helping them rationalize their portfolio. Do they have too many brands? Are they the right brands? Are they organized in the right way? Uh, or tactics sometimes are important. We need a campaign. We need a new uh, web presence, or we need a new strategy in social, or you know, we, we have some interesting thought leadership. We need you to help us package it or activate it. So those, those tend to be more uh, surgical deployments um, compared to the more larger brand transformation work. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, NetSuite. Now picture this. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business, poor visibility into what's actually happening because you're relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. If you are a business owner, you need visibility into what's happening in your business. NetSuite gives you that visibility. It gives you visibility over your financials, your inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to have visibility to have control, and most importantly, to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your process and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased both their visibility into what was going on as well as their control after they switched and upgraded to NetSuite. Remember, NetSuite is rated the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. And over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through to the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash scottclary. So if you want to take advantage, head to netsuite.com slash scottclary for a special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That is netsuite.com slash Scott Clary. And out of all the topics, because the theme that you wrote a book on that permeates your website, it's about brand intimacy. Now, all the things you just mentioned, I've heard other marketing agencies do. Other marketing agencies right. focus on all your different, your product portfolio or, you know, a social strategy. Brand intimacy 
I've worked in marketing and maybe this is actually a fault of mine. Maybe this is more a commentary on me not being aware enough, but I, I don't know what brand intimacy really is. And maybe that's just because I've grown up in the world of you have to have positive, you know, return on ad spend, or you have to have X percent ROI on your, on your Facebook campaigns or whatnot, or these are, these are all, these are all very tactical things. And like I said, it's to a fault sometimes, right. but brand intimacy doesn't seem like there's a, a a KPI associated with it. It seems more like a, a a way that you look at marketing or look at brand. But why was it so important for you to write a book on it? Why was it so important for Emblem to focus on it as an organization? Well, yeah, let me take you back to why all the whys, right? The whys are important. So we were in a leading brand consultancy shaping the world's best brands in a really competent way. And what we realized is that there was a pivot in the marketplace and we didn't think we could solve it using the same tools and approaches. And so here's the shorthand view of the way we saw the world. And it's still true today. One, there's an ever increasing proliferation of brands. So more, more noise, harder to differentiate the signal from the noise. So if you're a brand, if you're in the brand building business, it's harder to kind of step away and differentiate or to create distinction. If you're on the receiving end, you know, you're kind of, it's a cacophony of, of signals, right? So that's one issue. The second is that increasingly customers are in control, right? So it's now fully uh, pull versus push. And so again, increasingly hard if you're in the brand formation and transformation business. The third force really compounds the first two, which is the role that technology is playing. So increasingly with these supercomputers in our pockets, Brands are being basically disintermediated by technology. Technology is the gateway that either enables or uh, dilutes the brand experience, right? So that's, that's definitely more kind of common now, but 11 years ago that was becoming clearer. And the last force and the most important is that what we know about how our brains work is new and different. Behavioral scientists have proven that when we make decisions, emotion drives those decisions. So we like to think of ourselves as rational creatures, but you know, ultimately if decisions are being driven by emotion, then are we factoring that into the way we build brands and then how we measure them? And then ultimately how we prove out this idea of marketing effectiveness, right? So those were the forces at work. So we knew something had to change. Brand intimacy basically became our journey into looking at what is the role that emotion plays in branding and how can we get smarter around it? The book became a kind of output of what we discovered along the way. And and the the initial and what was the, so you 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 start to understand okay so if emotion is driving decisions because every decision is emotion even you know I'm more of a traditional sales leader than marketing leader but you know emotion you make decisions based on emotion then you justify with logic but those are still emotionally like driven decisions so if that's how a customer thinks then we have to find a way to uh, build out a more replicable process around creating brands that sync up with the consumer's emotions. And also, that's, that's, so that's, a smart, that's a smart concept. Now, you put together a study on brand intimacy throughout COVID. Was that concept something you were already working on before COVID? Or did COVID just further double down and propagate this idea that how important brands and brand intimacy was with consumers. Yeah. Yes. So the study, the recent study is one of, well, we do it annually. So it's been ongoing, but it's the first time we, the, the study you're referring to is the first time we did this measurement post pandemic, but um, the studies are a byproduct of understanding a bigger idea here. That is, what we learned about consumers is that they form bonds with brands in similar ways that we bond with each other. So those bonds are reciprocal, they're fluid. Um, and when we discovered that, that we actually create these bonds like we do with each other, um, we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could measure those? So, okay, how do we do that, right? So that took numerous years, a lot of qualitative, quantitative research work to fine tune a formula to measure the degree of intimacy or the, the degree of emotional connection between you and a brand. 
So the, the foundation, and that's really what the book uh, tries to lay out, is how we arrived at that uh, formula and, and what, it, um, you know, what it does for us. But really simply, the formula is you have to be a user of the brand to count. That's important. So this isn't about what you perceive or what you think or what you heard. Uh, it's not about awareness. It's purely about the connection you have to a product or service that you use. Next, we measure a series of archetypes and a series of stages. The archetypes are kind of like the DNA of the relationship, and the stages are the degree of intimacy. And then we use a, an algorithm to create a quotient score uh, from zero to 100. The point of all that is, it gives us a mechanism to see who does this well, how, who doesn't, why is that, what can we learn from them? Uh, and it also allows us to look at industry performances, uh, performance of brands in industries versus each other, it allows us to look at demographics. How does this change with old people versus young people? Uh, you know, what do millennials prefer versus another uh, demographic? And, um, and it basically gives us a framework also to work with our clients to say, hey, this is, this is a kind of new compass or new alignment of where your long-term marketing goal is. Stop thinking about your brand as a thing and think about your brand as a series of relationships with key stakeholders that you're going to measure and improve over time. Now, one point that I wanted to just touch on that you mentioned is one of the uh, one of the metrics that you uh, include in this calculation, because I think it's also interesting that you point out that you focus on brand intimacy based on people that are already using your brand. I don't want to dive too much down another path, but I'm just curious as to your thoughts on how brand intimacy can play into gaining net new customers as well to yeah. bring them into the fold? Yeah. No, I think it's a great question. What happens to the people that aren't users, right? So our belief is that if you know, why, if you know how to build strong bonds with the people who use your product, that is going to hold true for how you attract people towards it. Um, so there may be other, by the way, this isn't also suggesting that all the other ways you measure brand or all the other things that you do aren't useful. Uh, you know, brand value or um, net promoter score or, or these other mechanisms are, they have their role in their place. And, you know, we're not trying to say do away with all that. We're just trying to say that uh, there is some things that are antique and maybe should be thrown away. The idea of loyalty is a good example, right? So. Yeah. I'm loyal to my cell phone provider, but I, I don't really like them. In fact, I yeah. definitely well, you don't know, you don't, you're running out of choice at that point. Exactly. <laughs> you're just, you're I'm just a track loyalist. Is there. Yeah. So as a mechanism, loyalty is a kind of dated concept. So right away, intimacy can replace something like loyalty for sure. Um, and to your question then, so if I'm in the business of just attracting customers, what role does intimacy play? Well, if you think about those things as early relationships, what are the interesting data points we have is the most correlated and interesting thing we learned is that the first impression with a brand is extremely important in building intimacy. It has an extremely disproportionate amount of importance versus the multiple touch points that follow. So if you know that and you're in the business of acquisition, customer acquisition, that could change the way you really think about your marketing and your investments, right? And that's just one example of many that we've come up with because of the data on brand intimacy. And one of the one of the points, which isn't really that surprising, is that throughout COVID, um, brands that have this that ha the score higher on this on on brand intimacy, they continuously outperform. So even walk me through some of the things that you've learned throughout COVID. Um, with brands that do have high intimacy scores with their customers, is it uh, obviously one of the most difficult times in you know current history? When you say they perform better, is it a, a noticeable multiplier versus ones that don't, or is it a, a percent better? What's yeah. the how much should people care about this basically? <laughs> well, you care about it post COVID or in general? <laughs> it, well, I guess I, well, I would say I it, it, obviously post COVID, but I would say you can look into you can look into the most troubling times in, in recent history to understand in the worst case scenario, yeah, brand intimacy, what, that does, what does that actually mean for a right. brand and their customer versus in probably a, a less stressful environment? Right. Well, look, every year we learn more and more. And when the world changed on us in early 2020, right, May or April 2020, 
we actually wondered, well, one, are we going to survive? Two, if we survive, what's the role that brands play in our lives? And as we moved into the second and third quarter of 2020, we thought it was really important to test that theory. You know, what is the role of emotion now that the world is upside down? The early results were surprising. We thought, we didn't know what to expect, to be honest, but the early results were that we bond more with brands since COVID than before. And this, and it's significantly more. So we also have 33% more brands in our lives that we have some form of emotional connection with than we did before. Um, and that's also surprising. And I think maybe it shouldn't be surprising because the, the, the more isolated we became, in a way, brands replaced the role that almost people were forming in our lives or in our relationships. And there were things that aren't surprising, like Zoom and Purell became, you know, breakthrough brands in our study, as you would anticipate, right? Um, Amazon and Apple did extremely well. The streaming brands did generally much better. But there were other things that, that caught us off brand and also off, off guard. And other, other surprises, brands who really pivoted extremely well in the early parts of the pandemic were interesting for us to observe. Um, you know, brands like Walmart that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate or Microsoft did extremely well in the early days. We just repeated the study and we're about to launch it. So in September, on September 8th, we're going to show the second year of the data. So um, from April 2021. And there's, again, uh, general new uh, layering of information. Brands are doing extremely well uh, as they were before in the pandemic. Um, and there's some new, you know, risers and, and some brands that have suffered since the beginning. But th those are just some of the things that we've taken away in, in, the, in the COVID version of the study. And the people that do it the best, um, yeah. I'm curious as to who those people are. But yeah. what, are they, what are they really doing differently? You mentioned one thing that was the initial touch point with the customer. But for somebody who's listening to this, Perhaps they already have a, you know, they they obviously want to focus on customer acquisition always, but there's there's probably other things that they do well, the top brands that somebody would want to replicate or emulate um, to tap into their existing and build intimacy with their existing customer base. So what let's let's walk through some people that do it incredibly well. Like you mentioned some, but there's some probably others that maybe post COVID are also exceptional. Yeah. Well, there are some brands that do it well and have always done it well. And they, uh, you know, they create a kind of distortion field because, you know, they do so many things well that, it, that it's almost humbling and, and paralyzing at the same time. A brand like Apple, when you think about a brand like that, from a brand point of view, marketing point of view, and its, its dominance in the industry, you know, it's hard to take lessons from that because of the scale that it operates on and the extreme kind of sophistication um, but that's one that's sort of a continual uh, performer. Let's take one that wasn't, that is pivoting well. Microsoft is interesting and never been a Microsoft fan necessarily, but under Nadella, Nadella, I think that's what you pronounce his name, the new CMO, CEO leadership, the brand really pivoted to a much more nurturing, much more um, sensitive orientation around its messaging and marketing. And then during COVID, it doubled down on some of those pivots and created a much more relevant message, um, tools that were helping us while we were remote or in collaboration or, or what have you. And it really benefited, it really, you really saw clearly how it outshone its, its peers um, in terms of the quickness with the pivot and then the um, effectiveness with which it, it sort of uh, reached its target with effective messaging. So that's, what, that's a quick example there. You know, the other thing that I like about the study is that you don't have to be a big business to do well. I mean, we just talked about two ginormous companies, but um, I kind of <laughs> like how even smaller companies do very well. Yeah. So before the acquisition, Whole Foods had historically always done well in our study. And, uh, you know, things have changed since it was acquired by Amazon. But before the, the acquisition, it really stood for a brand that was extremely well tailored and oriented towards uh, a very clear idea and well executed um, and, and consistently executed. And it was also a quality play. Uh, so 
it was interesting to see that uh, performance. Another brand, just to just to bring up, uh, Sephora does very well year over year, and that is notwithstanding that luxury brands and health and beauty brands generally perform very poorly. So Sephora has an interesting. Um, Why is that? Just, I'm just yeah, curious good question. <laughs> I can uh, only yeah, surmise a couple of things. One is um, it's it's. It's an amalgam of product, right? Sephora is a great aggregator. So if you're interested in the products that are staged there, I don't think anyone does it necessarily, anyone curates it necessarily better. Uh, and then the customer service and the experience are very, very good. So I think that's the reason why that brand does extremely well. But let me get back to your question, which is, you know, how do you do it, right? How do you build intimate, how do you build intimacy? <laughs> Uh, yeah, because there's all these examples, and I, and even people that are going to hear Whole Foods are like, well, I I don't have a Whole, whole what Foods. What do I yet. do with that? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So the first thing I'll say is, if you're thinking about your brand as an inanimate object or as a thing, you know, change that. Right. Start thinking about the relationship of you and your stakeholders, whether they're employees or primary audience or target audience or influencers or investors. Think about those bonds and how you're forming them. That's sort of the a priori um, lesson to take away of this. And I think right away, if you do that, it'll change uh, a lot of what you do. Um, so second, we, we have a framework that we use when we're thinking about brand building. It's a simple framework and it can work as both a process and a diagnostic. So think of it in three steps. Defining your essence, what you stand for, how you articulate it, codify it, uh, what your brand looks like, sounds like, feels like. That's the core foundation of the brand. The next layer, think of it like Russian dolls or cascading or rippling water, right? The next layer is the story layer, your narrative, how you engage your audience. This is the lifeblood of the brand. So on the foundation of essence sits the story. Then the next layer is the experience layer orchestrating the touch points uh, and really engineering a kind of cohesive frictionless experience. Now that sounds simple, right? We know that's really hard to do once and it's extremely hard to keep doing that. And so what I think great brands do well, aside from understanding their brand is a relationship and how to nurture it, is they know how to do essence story and experience well continually. And you know, this is a sort of circling back on an earlier point you made, this isn't just marketing's job, right? If you're running a company, these are uh, this is a multidisciplinary challenge. This is about product, it's about strategy, it's about customer service, it's about sales, it's about a bunch of things beyond just how you market, right? Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that a lot of these great brands demonstrate that they um, aren't just layering uh, a message on a flawed product. They're ultimately great businesses with great brands. Do you, do you still see, because obviously when you have multi-million and billion dollar marketing budgets, you can hire the expertise to understand this and to execute on it. I, I don't know how small the organizations are like at the, at the small end of what you work with. I know you work with large brands, but I'm just curious in the startup ecosystem, do you, well, first of all, do you work with any smaller companies and organizations, Absolutely. startups? Okay, so do you yeah. feel like the average CEO founder skews towards a more old school version of marketing and brand as more transactional? Or do you feel like the paradigm is slightly shifting towards something that is more in line with this holistic view of what marketing is, what marketing has to be to, of course, sell your product, but also turn your customers into evangelists, build that intimacy? Where do you think founders default to? So we, uh, we do a lot of work with startups and what I would call mature startups. And I think it is fair to say that they tend to fall more in that transactional space. Um, I don't think it's any easier for a small startup as it is for a big company to do this. I mean, you can make counter arguments. A big company, trying to turn a big company around is like, turning a tanker, right? Yeah, it's extremely fair. difficult. Uh, so yes, they may have great consultants or great staff, but you know, at the end of the day, 
if you have 30,000 employees and you used to be known for one thing, it's very hard to change that. Um, so the challenge is consistent and equally difficult in both. And, and our work tends to be just as hard building a brand from scratch as it is working with, you know, very sophisticated and bigger brands. What I would say with mature startups that I feel um, is an extra layer to the challenge is that the, the creator or the founder's mindset, especially if it's a scientifically led or engineering led solution, those tend to be heavily rationally oriented um, mindsets, right? So, you know, um, one of the things that Apple and Tesla and other companies like that um, sort of darlings of Silicon Valley have done is convince people that product is marketing. So I'm going to build the best electric vehicle and it is my marketing. And I don't need to do Super Bowl ads. I don't need to be on social media. I can just make this great thing and they will come. And that's true if you're Tesla and, and Apple, <laughs> maybe. But um, if you're not. Or, but or, if you're not. Or even, even um, that. But even then, you know, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that thinking though, right? The product is, is the most important element of all of this. It has to be great. Um, is that the marketing in all cases? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I would say that that's, that is a flawed way to look at it. And even Steve Jobs understood the role that marketing played and was actually extremely adept at it and did some of the best marketing ever created, even though the products were also heroic. So. I think people sometimes fall into these traps and uh, I think they, they lose sight of the role that marketing play. Very good. Very good. Um, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, you may have heard me speak about leveling up in the past, how we can level up our careers, our businesses, our customer experience. I wanted to take a minute and focus on that last one because when we level up our customers' experiences, we transform our customers into evangelists and help our business and our careers grow like crazy. With new features dedicated to helping your sales teams improve your customer experience, HubSpot is on a mission to help millions of companies grow better starting with yours. Conversation intelligence tools help your teams get real-time insights into calls with automatic recording, transcription, and call analysis. With more visibility into customer conversations, coaching, and customer feedback becomes that much easier. Easy share meeting links let customers see availability and book meetings for you all from the HubSpot platform. This cuts out endless cycles of scheduling email. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. What, uh, what would be one tactical step that, that somebody who's listening to this would want to focus on tomorrow if they wanted to move their company in this direction? Would it be a mindset thing? Would it be yeah, hiring well, emblem? I'm just... <laughs> Well, we always welcome that. I think the first step yeah. is what is the role? I mean, first of all, if the company has some scale and, and um, it has a degree of customers and, and, and data, you know, it's what to what degree do you augment your data with some emotional measures? So when we first started this, nobody was really talking about these kinds of measures. Nowadays, almost every research company does a form of this. So you can now augment um, and think about your data differently. So that's a good first step if you have uh, some scale. If, if you're small is smaller or just um, forming, I think the question is, to what extent can this be a compass for you? Can brand intimacy be the thing that guides your marketing uh, long-term and your brand? Um, so if that were the case, you know, to what extent does the relationships that you want to build, um, how do you want to engineer those relationships? How are you going to nurture them? How do you move them from, you know, uh, starting to use you to being ultimately fused with your brand? And when you start thinking along those terms, it'll change all your tactics. It'll change what you measure. It'll change how you communicate. Um, it'll change how you evaluate your partners and the work that you do. What would be uh, what would be one uh, potentially unpopular opinion that you have about brand and marketing? Unpopular opinion. What a great question. An unpopular opinion. 
something that goes contrary to what most people would believe. Well, the idea that marketing is fundamentally rooted on something that is emotionally driven is, I think, a bit of a renegade idea in and of itself, That's right? Correct. I mean, um, it shouldn't be, but I agree that it is. Well, unfortunately there's true. a lot of science that may say, you know, through data, you can get to truth. And I think that's fair, uh, maybe in some cases. So I guess that could be one of them. That's a really good question. I'd have to think more on. Here's, an, I, here's another thing that comes from the study that isn't necessarily counter, but is completely new. And that is the closer you are to the hardware, the more the magic of the device, um, the more the brand gets credited with the magic of the device. So if you're a smartphone manufacturer, you get credit for the content, the information, the uh, access, the social media connectivity, engagement, all of those things that happen on a smartphone, even though many brands drive that, most of the credit goes to the hardware manufacturer. That's something we've learned in brand intimacy. Interesting. And that's also true for gaming. And so why does that matter? Well, if you're ever partnering with any of those brands, whether it's a, an entertainment brand or a social media brand or a access brand or a hardware company, I think it's important to know that because uh, at, at some level, those brands are being discounted. Those other brands are being discounted, the non-hardware brands. Very, and I think the truth behind that is that you hold it, it's, it's uh, tactile, it, it, you know, it sort of commands this priority to those other brands, maybe fairly or unfairly, but that's a gateway to everything else. You, you pick it up. It's the thing that you get gateway, the games right? on. Yeah. 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 The tactile thing you pick up. One of the reasons why social media brands do extremely poorly in our study. Because, because, because people don't actually have intimacy with the brand. They have intimacy with the device that they access the brand or the app on. That's one level of it. I think the second level is that they're seen as utilities. They're free generally, and they're they're not um, they're the bonds that they're forming. You know, you, 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 I don't really bond with Instagram. I bond with my community on Instagram, right? So the brand isn't really working overtime to build a bond with me. Uh, I'm more interested in the connectivity within it. So. I thought I think on the that. Social media brands know that and probably are trying to work around that. That's also one of the reasons you're seeing Google, Facebook, and others doing so much more advertising lately than they've ever done before. And have you noticed that the advertising is extremely emotionally driven? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I, I really do. Um, I'm just curious if you think that there is a correlate because when you're trying to market a product, you may want to put free stuff out into the world to bring people in. But I'm curious on that point that you just mentioned, do you think that you lose that brand intimacy if people aren't paying for a product? So our study says that that isn't the case. And I understand the freemium model that you're referencing. We haven't seen a correlation between how much you pay for a product and the degree of intimacy. There's a couple things that are interesting myths that we've debunked. One, how much you use a product has no correlation. So if I go to my favorite resort once a year versus using Instagram 50 times a day, those two things don't affect how much I feel about um, brands. So degree of in, uh, frequency doesn't matter to intimacy. Uh, net promoter score doesn't matter. So to the degree to which I would refer another person to this product or service has no correlation to intimacy, which is interesting. Um, Advertising also has no correlation. So whether I see a message today or recently, and then you interview me now, has no correlation to how I feel about that product. I, whether or not I saw those ads had, had no effect. As I said earlier, one thing that does correlate is uh, first impressions. Um, so, and, But on the, on the flip side of that, if I do have brand intimacy, am I expecting my NPS to go up? Is there an inverse correlation? There no, is no not... correlation between the two. Um, I would suspect if you're really good at building strong emotional bonds, you will have a strong net promoter score. That would be, I think, fair to assume. But they, the two are not um, correlating. Very, I will very say that there are other benefits to intimacy we haven't talked about that we are excited by. One is we know the more intimate you are, the more you're willing to pay for a product. That's important. We know the more intimate you are, the more aligned your behavior 
uh, and actions are. So that's really important if you want to build an ethos or a strong employee culture around a brand. Uh, and we know that the more intimate, the, the most intimate brands outperform the Fortune 500 standard and poor's in revenue and in profit. And lately, even stock price. So there are real financial and business. Those are um, pretty big. Those are pretty big uh, benefits to an organization, to a company. Yeah, we just recently measured that if you uh, just during COVID, intimate brands um, did 7% better, which uh, sounds like a small number. But if your score raises 7%, you're going to jump a lot in the standings. That 7% translates to a huge amount of lift. If you take what intimate brands do on profit alone, it's billions and billions of dollars. I think the, uh, the estimate is on an annual basis, it's 16 billion more dollars for intimate brands versus those in Standard and Poor's and Fortune 500. Now remember, these are big companies, right? So it's big numbers, but that's, that's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's it feels that's, like yeah. a smart thing to do. <laughs> it does feel like a very smart thing to do. No, that's great. That's that, that's perfect. That's uh, I, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you brought some of those points up. Um, okay, I want to I want to give uh, people some some direction to go see more and reach out to you, learn more about Emblem. Before we drop that, and then I'm going to do a couple of rapid fire career questions for you. Um, was there anything else that you want to touch on that we didn't go into today? No, I really appreciate thoughts? this, Scott. Thank you. No, no, my pleasure. Well, thank you for for uh, for the awesome chat. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's just drop some socials. Um, where do people get the book? Where do people connect with you? Where do people go see Emblem? Anything you want. Sure, and I'll put so, it in the show notes too. Uh, MBLM.com is the website. The book is available at all your favorite book retailers. It's called uh, Brand Intimacy: New Paradigm in Marketing. Uh, our annual study and the data related to it is free for people to peruse and download and play with. That's also available on mblm.com. And that is our Twitter handle. And you find us in all the usual social places with that handle as well. Do you want to, do you want to drop your stuff as well? Where, like, sure. do you have, what's your I favorite social, your Twitter or whatever? So it's M Natarelli at, uh, at M Natarelli is my Twitter handle. So first initial M is in Mary, N-A-T-A-R-E-L-L-I. And uh, that'll hold true for LinkedIn and uh, other places too. Great. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so in your career, you've had a, an incredible career. Uh, you've had an exit plus multiple successes um, in various, various iterations of marketing agencies. What was your largest challenge? It could be personal or professional. What was that challenge? How did you overcome it? So I think the biggest challenge has been um, working in an industry that completely overnight shut down during the recession. You know, financial services and real estate were hard hit. The economy was in a free fall. Every client of any significance evaporated. And so when you see that happen and the lives that it affects uh, as a leader, you really take stock on how do you build, you know, recession proof businesses? How do you build for the long term? How do you weather the ups and downs? You know, marketing is very much a feast and famine uh, type of reality. And um, to build a kind of consistent business and maintain sanity through that is the biggest challenge. Amazing. Not what sure were, I've solved just, it yet. No, I was going to say, what were some of the things that as an agency, because there are people that listen to this that are working in agencies. Um, what were some things that you had to do differently? Or was it just weathering the storm? Did you change how you prospected? Did you change your product offering? Were there anything significant? Yeah. You know, you, you really start to value proactive new business efforts to really understand what it means to build a wide funnel of opportunities. It's really important to invest in the brand, your brand as an agency and your thought leadership. Many of the reasons we do what we do is because uh, we're trying to build, you know, tomorrow's prospects and the future clients of the business. Right. And also elevate the reputation of the firm. So those are things that are an endless uh, requirement, sort of a bottomless pit of energy. 
And I think the challenge is how do you maintain an energy level for a long period of time to sustain those things? You know, we experiment at times with certain channels and certain initiatives, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes your timing is right, but the pro but the um, execution is off, and sometimes the reverse is true. So I think you just kind of have to maintain your wits and your energy levels to to sort of sustain effort on a continual basis and hope that you reap those rewards. Um, but it is it is it is upping the energy level, upping the activity, and that's what sort of weathered the storm. Yeah, it's also being decisive and making difficult decisions quickly. Uh, yeah, but you're right; it's kind of seeing, taking a horizon, taking a long-term horizon view of, of a reality that, um, you know, isn't the present day crisis that you're in and trying to sort of get through it with that in mind. Very good. And that's obviously like that, that's a, that's a huge shot for everyone, but I appreciate you diving into that because I think there's a lot of people that, um, didn't weather as well as, as emblem. Um, so I think that that's some, it's a smart lesson for people to, to, to just take note of. Well, um, I'm sure people okay. did it better than we did. You know, look, I, I as, feel as, like, as, yeah, yeah, people also did it better, but I mean, there's a, there's a scale, there's a scale of success coming out of COVID, but I mean, you're still, you're still an organization, you're still around and you've had, you've had <laughs> success true. and you, yeah. you don't, but, you, you, know, you, you double down on it. Like you're even releasing reports about, about things that reinforce your message as an organization throughout COVID. You're talking about lessons right. learned out of COVID, how to apply those to businesses. That's, that's, in, that's, you know, it's intuitive. It's 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 a different way of of approaching COVID as opposed to just pretending it doesn't exist and trying to do the same thing that you've done forever. You actually leveraged it to an, an extent to help businesses be smarter, be better, better educated, educated. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think that's fair and true, and I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I will say, you know, Scott, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's easy to listen to people and think. Oh wow! That you know that that sounds really great and rosy and what a great success story. In reality, you know it's been a tough slog. It's been really difficult, and we've probably made every mistake and most of them worse than most, right? So, you know, I I, I want to sort of share that. Um, you know, what what has helped us is that we have a collaborative spirit. We we really want to build. Uh, brands that we believe in and and for our clients as well so you know that's been ultimately what's gotten us through this and made us compelling I guess to our clients that they believe in us right mm -hmm. and I think you need to find that you need to find that truth in your efforts or in your work that it resonates and and is you know both believable and differentiating and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy to get to that, I think. And, you, sh you know, don't, don't worry too much about the things that don't go the right way. If you can see progress, even in incremental ways, and you're getting to, you know, something better and something more productive at the end of it, I think that's, that's what should keep you going. I hope that Very helps. Good. I think so. Um, if, you, if you had one person... Uh, there's probably been many, but if you had one person in your life that you'd have to pick that had a major impact on your life, who was it and what did you learn from them? It's oh, another great question. It's usually tough because people have so many people that have had impacts on their life and it can be personal, it can be family, it's okay. You know, I think the one person I'll say is um, a client that uh, taught us, I think, the role that we can play. Uh, this, this client was interesting because they were, on the surface, very um, atypical, right? But they let us... They, they were they let us dream with them and they let us um, elevate and they taught us that you know we could achieve incredible things if we just um, committed to it so I think that's the one person I would say has dramatically impacted my life on a professional level 
Amazing. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, CrowdHealth. Now, as we all know, open enrollment is ending soon. It's time to think about the best healthcare option for you and your family. And I know a lot of people are still trying to figure out what to do. Now, when it comes to healthcare, it's important that you're getting your money's worth. CrowdHealth helps you with covering medical expenses. It's a more flexible and affordable healthcare option without the hassle of insurance. So while you're shopping around, don't forget to head to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99. Find out how CrowdHealth can save you 40 to 60% in healthcare costs every single year. Now, just to give you an idea of what CrowdHealth is, CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. It's a modern way to pay for medical expenses. CrowdHealth is a community of people who are tired of paying into a broken system. Being in the CrowdHealth community can save you hundreds of dollars in monthly expenses and put thousands of dollars back in your pocket. Now, you're probably asking, why would I choose CrowdHealth over traditional insurance? Three main reasons. Flexible, simple, membership-based. Membership is a monthly subscription. Start or stop whenever you want. There's simple and transparent pricing that fits exactly what you need. To use it, all you have to do is scan bills and throw them away. CrowdHealth takes care of the rest. Now, CrowdHealth is able to offer incredible pricing because of its community of health-conscious members. And they put together a special offer just for Success Story podcast listeners. So get your first six months at just $99 per month. That's a savings of almost 50% off their standard pricing and a lot less than one of those crappy high deductible plans. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99 and enter code successstory at sign up. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash 99 and promo code is successstory. Enter that when you sign up. Remember, CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions do apply. Uh, If you could tell your... 20-year-old self, one thing, what would it be? Oh, 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 my God. I'm wondering how people answer these questions on the fly. My 20-year-old self, what I would say to them is, enjoy the ride. You may not be heading where you think you're going, but ultimately it'll work out. Be That's kind how they of answer around it. you. <laughs> That's how they answer it. That's it. <laughs> um do you have a, a book or a podcast, something that you've enjoyed that you'd recommend people go check out? Uh, well, I think I read probably the things that most of your um, podcast listeners uh, consume, you know, Gladwell. And I enjoy Kahneman and Kahneman is kind of our patron saint. He's the, the system one, system two uh, behavioral scientist who basically um, formalized a lot of the theories that we use in, in understanding how the brain works. So he's a, a little bit more upstream in the, the heady column. But I really enjoy um, podcasts that make me laugh. So for me, uh, Smartless and Conan O'Brien and uh, anything that has some humor to it is what I really uh, thrive on. Amazing. And last, last question, what does success mean to you? As a as a leader in an agency, success is um, making good on the promise of Emblem, which is to redefine what a marketing paradigm could look like, feel like, for both our clients and our employees. We're really passionate about what we do, but we also want to build a culture that's nurturing, collaborative, uh, and fun to be in. So. To us, it's a kind of dual prong challenge or three prongs to our challenge. One, um, do something that's smart and meaningful in the world of marketing, help clients build great brands and build a team around you that enjoys the work and feels fulfilled at the end of the day. It's a damn good answer. You you got you got all the you got all the answers on the fly. Well, we're trying. I don't know how I don't know how you grade us on any of those right now, but you know. It's a start. No, that's. I think it's great, and I think it's great. That's all I got. That's that's it. That's uh, that's how we close out the show.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials, but here's the 
best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay thank you so much indeed for sponsoring success story for all business leaders out there indeed is a lifesaver see we're always driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work, and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 